1: I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show, because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there.
2: I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And the Lakers have hired the 28th coach in team history with Darvin Ham coming to the squad. We were talking a little bit about the coaching search. Obviously on this pod, we don't get quite as deep into all the candidates as whatnot with Mike and I's situation, but we talked about it a little bit as they were reportedly entering the last round of talks and interviews. And Ham just felt like the right guy. He's somebody that I try with assistant coaches that become head coaches to not make too many inferences on the basketball and X's and O's pieces but i do try to hear them talk and then what do other people say about them and darvin ham seems to be quite respected by a number of different people from a number of different corners of the basketball universe i was skimming the nba archives recently and they were relaying a story where kobe was talking about how much he helped with his post game because ham was a physical athletic player and I am pretty sure he probably has the best dunk highlight tape of any head coach in the NBA right now. But I don't know, D. He's felt like the right guy that kind of emerged throughout this process. And so I'd love to talk a little bit about the process that led us to to here, and then just what's your initial reaction to the hiring of Darvin Ham? I'm
3: excited that they're hiring Ham. Honestly, we talked a lot about how the candidates weren't necessarily the sexy names, and in a way, like I'm happy. For that, actually, like I'm happy that there wasn't this stargazing, like, oh, well, we've got our pick of all of these like dudes who have a lot of cachet around the league. and, And who do you really want? It's just like, yeah, I don't need Glenn Rivers. Right. Like former championship head winning coach. Like I'm good with that. Um, I like the idea of having some new blood. I like the idea of someone who's been around the league for a long time, but in different capacities as both a player and as an assistant coach. I like the idea of someone who's had a lot of history in player like on the player development side. And I like someone with Ham's particular story of someone who wasn't this highly recruited, like top of his class sort of dude, a guy who grinded his way to everything that he got in his NBA career, and then also as an assistant coach. In terms of the process, I was happy with the process, with what's been reported. Several candidates going through multiple interviews, giving a lot of opportunity to a lot of different people to speak to what they would do as head coach of The Los Angeles Lakers and in coaching a team with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, and currently as well, Russell Westbrook. And that's a big job. And it's an important job. And it's a job that the expectations have not changed on where the organization wants to go, despite the team having a very down year. And I'm happy with the choice that they made with this particular person who feels and comes off as a very strong minded, open, good communicating like just the type of dude who you want leading a group of guys out with serious goals and that's sort of how i see him
4: so darvin i am probably a little biased towards personally just because i i know him uh and got to spend time with him as he was one of mike brown's assistants and in fact shout out to whoever a couple people sent me an article that I had forgotten about. I'm like, I think I did one of those getting to know profiles of him. And I'll tweet that out again. But, you know, it the, that is more about sort of who he is as a person, how he grew up in Saginaw, uh, Michigan, in a in a tough part of town. Um, he got shot in the jaw, in, like in the face in the jaw, and jaw and like barely made it out alive. He was kind of a late bloomer in basketball. He's a football player, um, really tight, supportive parents that kind of nurtured him through that experience. Then he fights his way into the league, fights his way to stay into the league. So he's got this story that is, you know, is powerful as a leader um, of men, and it, and he wears that too. That's the kind of it's. He's not the kind of guy that says, "Oh, I went through this experience, and, um, and therefore you should listen to me." He just sort of lives with a positivity, right? That is kind of unspoken, and I've always seen players and coaches too gravitate to this guy because of that. And what I, what I don't know and what I'm excited to hear about is, is how the way that he sees the game and the X's and O's and strategies and, um, small lineups and big lineups and, and like all of that, I'm excited to hear what his ideas are on that. But from the, from the like personal leader of men and, and also just cool guy, which is part of the things that we talked about in these coaching pods, that's a big check. And, and that's to me, if I have to pick one of the two, I need, I need that first. Yeah. And then I can at least I can X's and O's. Ideally, you can get me all the way to, to ten out of ten there too. But if you can get to eight or nine with that mix, that's great. Um, and and just two notes to add into that. So like LeBron's tweet about it, right? Which which yeah. is it's just it's just a simple thing, but it's so damn excited and Caps Lock. Congrats and welcome, Coach D Ham. You know emojis, etc. Uh, that's important. It just is. And and I do I have heard that LeBron is a fan. Um, of Darwin. And, and then Giannis gave a quote to Woj um, that Woj tweeted. I'm so happy for him. He's the right fit for them. He keeps it real with you. No BS at all. It's about damn time. He deserves it more than anyone. Uh, that, you know, that is significant to me also. And, and so th- I know there's a lot to get to on that, but I was, I was excited when, when I saw because I had kind of, these were the rumblings, right? Uh, that this was probably the guy that mm-hmm. had the good shot at it, but when I actually saw those, I saw that uh, those tweets started to come out because I, I was at a tournament for my kids all weekend. Um, I, I let out a little smile um, and I think probably hit you guys in the group thread.
2: Yeah, I, that, and I think your point about his positivity and the way that the responses from players around the league that have worked with him are so like, you ever have a friend get hired for a job that like is really good at, at doing what they do and you're like, just like, Yes, you know, like that level of satisfaction for someone who has earned your respect being elevated to a certain to a certain level. And when that's coming from a LeBron, from a Giannis, from and and various other players around the league, that really speaks volumes to me. And I think with respect to our particular circumstance, not every coaching job is the same. And not every even Lakers coaching job is the same. We're in different circumstances now than we were a couple of years ago when Frank Vogel got hired. And I see a couple of pillars that I think Darvin Ham, I see a couple of attributes in Darvin Ham that I think is especially helpful to our current situation, D, in that shit fell apart on us this year. It all fell down. We missed the playoffs, missed the play-in. Bad season, Celtics might chip, holy crap. Basketball gods sending us to some inner circle of hell, and we got to fight our way out of it. Now, if you're stuck in whatever circle of hell we're going to end up in at the end of this, well, you got to believe you got to get out of it. In order to get out of it or else you're not going to get out of it. And I think that a leader that we can, that people can rally behind, but also the type of leader that is that guy who worked his way up, like you said, D and it's a very on the court type of way. Frank Vogel worked his way up too. If you make it to the, to being a head coach in the NBA, you're going to have worked your way up on some level. Right. But Ham's experience, both as a player and then his upbringing, I think there's a certain level of belief that I think is required before anything else good can happen. And so, to Mike's point, I think that we have the right person for this job. That's a really important box to check. And I, from what I know about his coaching and his X's and O's and all of that, like I'm encouraged, but it's hard to filter that through the lens of an assistant coach. We'll see what his vision is on the court, but just as a person, but just as a person, that fundamental belief and that positivity and let's get back to basics and go to work. I'm going to be on the court. I'm going to be out there. Like There's an energy to it that I think is really necessary to our particular circumstance.
3: Agree 100%. So Ham was born in July of 1973. And so this year he'll be, what, 49? That sort of, it's not super young, but I would imagine he sort of could still resemble the NBA player that that he was. And that bringing the combination of of sort of physicality and presence to the job, as well as The ethic that drove him to become an NBA player in the first place, because when you go back and read just how he got to the NBA and what he did to sort of stick in the league and like played a couple of years for a variety of teams and then went to Europe and then all over the world.
2: Yep. D, he's been all over the world in service of basketball. He was an ambassador for some like UN mission or like US ambassador, right? To uh, uh, Yeah, he's been all over the world. And I think that's informative too, right? That when you travel like that and when you, he's lived basketball all over the, the planet. And I think that that has an impact as well. Yeah. And just so all of that to
3: summarize that he just does feel like the right choice and he was a teammate of chauncey billups right at the end of ham's playing career he was in detroit for a couple of seasons and billups just spoke glowingly about the type of man that ham is like forget the type of coach that he is just the type of man that he is and mike I'd love to get your thoughts on this point in particular on the other side of the break, because Vogel impressed me as a man, too. And when you talk about this is what you need first, I feel like that's what you actually need first. It's like, give me a good person. First and foremost, and then we'll fill in the rest there. So let's go to break here. And on the other side, I'd love to just sort of talk out some of that part of things, too, about how that influences
0: coaching.
1: That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash wire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.
4: The... The way that you just described it, there, right in in what is a coach as a person and how is that important? I think specifically at the NBA level because it might be a little different in every league, um, although there are some similarities across sports, and, and certainly it's different for college and it's different for pros. But you know, the pro game is the one that Darvin Ham knows the most, and it's it's the one that we know the most. So I think that if you look at the last couple of Lakers coaches, so you have you have Luke Walton, you have Frank Vogel, and very different in a couple of respects. Like Luke was more like Darwin in the player type, Uh, like the the former player role player, everybody liked him, right. Respected. And Frank was more the pure X's and O's, uh, but mixed with this kind of Frank has a very good, just general demeanor. Um, And he's just, he's a nice, good person. And, I think sometimes that can get a bad name uh, in the NBA up until people realize that it's genuine, right? Cause sometimes people come across like that and you're like, well, oh, I'm not sure if he's actually like that genuine and nice. And, uh, but like, that's, so that's part of it. And what you, what you ideally want is some mix of that. And then that's where I, I do think that there's so much to be learned about the basketball philosophies and, I mean, goodness knows, Pete. We spent a lot of time this year, right, thinking about lineups and size of lineups and offense, and so all of that kind of stuff. And that that just it it's there's no way that it can't be a question mark, and it's going to be an ongoing discussion, by the way, because there may be some ideas that Darwin, I should say, there sure there are absolutely goals and ideals about the way that Darwin wants to coach, and then he's going to have to look at the roster, right? And okay, well, this ideal about what I like the way that we did this with a star in Giannis and Milwaukee, but I didn't like the way that we did that. And okay, but this player is here. That player is not. And a lot of it will revolve around just even Russell Westbrook and and what Russell West. So there's so much here um, that's unclear. But I think when you have the foundation of being able to not just get the players respect, but I think being able to. Uh, I, I I don't think this is like that hard of a sell to the fan base, um, which which uh, amongst what candidates were available, there wasn't less somebody out there that I think everybody was pining for. Right. And then they didn't get that guy. And instead, they bring bringing this guy like he gets right. And, and he's also not coming into the situation that Vogel was. Right. Where there was all of the turmoil in the front office turnover.
2: And also, Mike Vogel wasn't the first choice, at least by reports as well. Right. Like we had our hopes up for Ty Lue and that didn't work out. And it was like, uh, Vogel was a good coach in Indiana, I guess. And and that was kind of the energy when he got hired, I I felt like. Whereas with him, it, it felt like, like you said, he was the main guy.
4: Yeah. So that's so that's kind of a that's a different standpoint. But then but then Frank did great with what those circumstances were. And what was needed for that first year, especially. And I thought the second year and then things, you know, things got to where they got for a number of reasons that we've litigated already. But, but the starting point, here's the, here's the point, uh, Darius, the starting point is a good one. Like the hiring process, right? Who is available? The type of guy that you need to have with a LeBron and an AD and potentially rust on the roster, plus the type of guy that could be here past that, right? that could be a foundational those all of those things i um i would have a hard time poking a hole at and and i think that's a win
2: something that's been on my mind since he started really getting rumored and i started doing more more research on him and i find it interesting when a coach who's a former player that their attributes somewhat reflect the roster that they're given the boston celtics are an example of this they're a, a M.A. Udoka was a, a wing player, a 3 and D type of guy that was good perimeter defender who kind of physically, kind of similar to a Grant Williams type of guy, right? There are several guys on the Boston Celtics who have some of the attributes that Udoka had as a player. They have them oftentimes more of it, right? Like they're better at it. But in terms of being able to provide insight as a former player, they're oftentimes, you know, the 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 best head coaches that were former players or the deep bench guys that are not the stars, right? That's one of the old NBA axioms. And that's usually proven to be true. Um, But I also think that like Ham was a big athlete. He was someone who, when I look at our Lakers roster and with LeBron, AD, and with Russ here now, now that changes a bit, but like a big athlete that can physically kick your ass, I bet you Ham has some thoughts on how to leverage that effectively across your roster. So I don't know, that's one of the things that in the litigation of last year with Vogel, one of our big just overall criticisms, which wasn't specific to any one person, was like, the coach is going in this direction. The roster is going in that direction. Like we weren't in sync and all kind of going in the same direction. Um, and so I think that there's potential for some, some harmony there. There's a lot, a lot of road ahead in, in that front, but we're probably not going to be a system team with a ton of movement, but that's not the players that we have, right? We, we got to put, we've got shot creators that you put in space whose physical attributes you want to be able to take over i just think that there's potential there's potential there
3: there is a lot of potential and there's an opportunity here to start as fresh as you possibly can within the context of where the lakers are as a franchise especially within the context of them wanting to win an nba championship and so they definitely have two foundational players they have a third player in russell westbrook that his future remains unknown but the reporting is, and you have to do it this way when you're seeking out a head coach, but the reporting has been that what would you do with Russell Westbrook was a big part of the conversation if you were going to be head coach of the Los Angeles Lakers next season. And so is that setting you up so that Russ is actually going to be on the roster next season? I'm not sure. And we'll we'll litigate that part of things a bunch through the draft and heading into free agency but ham has the ability with this specific group of guys to sort of put his stamp on what he wants this team to be and some of the starting pieces are the star level dudes that every coach wants i'll be interested to see what his vision actually is I'll also be interested in seeing how that vision melds with the vision that Rob Polinka has for both a short term vision for how you build a team and a medium term vision and a long term vision for how you build out a roster and how you want to remain competitive over the next five years. And 10 years, right, which in theory outlives the basketball career of LeBron James and potentially even an Anthony Davis. Right. Because those are that's how you build out an organization to to be successful and what that means for what types of role players the team has and and everything else. Let's go to break here, though, because there is something I did want to talk to you guys about, and it was baked into some of the reporting around the hiring of ham and that sort of the ability to choose your own guys and who's going to be on your staff and i have questions about that stuff and we don't have a lot of answers now but i'd like to talk it out with both of you another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help So Mike, Pete, one of the things that I have questions about just in general is when you come from the assistant coaching ranks, how do you fill out your staff, right? So when you've been a head coach before, you often bring your dudes with you, right? Now, Frank Vogel did not get that luxury. Frank Vogel was told by the Los Angeles Lakers, and mind you, this is coming off of, and there's history here. Luke Walton got to pick his staff and he picked a lot of people who didn't necessarily have a lot of NBA experience or he picked people who were close to him. And that's what head coaches typically do. But Luke not having a lot of history in the league as a head coach himself, that staff was not baked in with a ton of experience. The Lakers then went the opposite direction. They said, we're hiring a former head coach who's had a lot of success in this league, but guess what? We're not letting him pick his staff, really, or we're going to have a lot of input on that. And now they're shifting back and going in the other direction again, and reporting has been that Darvin Ham is going to be able to pick out his staff or is going to have a lot of leeway in that. And so, I just open this question up to both of you. What types of assistant coaches do you think a first-time NBA coach needs and what are you looking for and how Ham is going to fill out his staff?
2: So, I think it's interesting to look at those two different approaches, right? Is one of the dangers with a coach picking their own staff is they pick their own guys and in some ways, their collective weakness is the one are reflects the collective weaknesses of your head coach, right? Ideally, you have a staff where a bunch of different wisdoms are represented. This is something that I really believe to my core: is that there are a bunch of different basketball wisdoms out there. That a GM has a different basketball wisdom than a head coach does, than a scout, than a player, than a head, than an assistant, right? Than a player development coach, and they get um experience and knowledge they accrue that through their individual experiences well who are your guys how do you develop your guys over the course of it's the people you work with right and then but if that's the case oftentimes you can pick people who have the same type of background and so there's kind of redundant wisdoms if that makes sense one of the things that's always struck me um about Jason Kidd was the most recent example in a post-game interview, but he's not the only coach who's who said this, complimenting Frank Vogel for things that he's learned about defense. David Fisdale had some quotes over the course of this season, like, oh shit, I learned a lot, right? But part of that comes from people coming from completely different basketball wisdoms, and that's a good thing to have. And so that, to me, is the middle road that you got to walk down is that have enough of the different basketball wisdoms represented on your staff. So there's not those redundancies while also everybody kind of rowing in the same direction. Cause if you come from two different Points of view too far away. I think that's where that not being on the same page can manifest, and we're like we're running small ball offenses or small ball lineups with big ball defenses, and it's just kind of all over the place. And so that's where my mind goes. D and Darvin Ham has earned his way up just the assistant ranks. Right? Luke was an assistant for a couple years before he got a head coaching gig. How long has Darvin Ham been doing this? Is at least a dozen years now. And so. In that experience, I would imagine that he's had the opportunity to develop a lot of relationships in a lot of different roles. So my hope is that he will be able to accomplish that.
4: Yeah. And Darwin doesn't know everybody, right? You know, everybody around the league. He's one of those guys where, and I think this is a good sign for people, right? You could say the same thing about a media member or a PR executive, like the person who dudes are just constantly going over to DAP. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, That's, he's one of those guys. So I think that And to Pete's point, the word I would use would be balance. I I think you want some balance. You want – and the size of an NBA staff these days allows you to have balance of having your guys that you can trust, which is important, right? And so a a little aside on that, I I was piecing through that interview I mentioned with Darvin Ham. And the last thing that I asked him about was sort of how did he he end up in L.A.? And there's a quote where he goes – I'm going to work my butt off for him being Mike Brown. I don't want that guy to be unsuccessful here. I really want to be a part of him getting his first championship as a head coach. Now that didn't work out right for Mike Brown, but that's what Darwin was trying to do. Like, but that, he yeah. was there to try and yeah. help the head coach and some assistant coaches. And this isn't just, this isn't akin to basketball. This is just a life job yep. thing. Some people they're looking, they're looking to try to chop you down to take your spot. Other people are not. And sometimes those people that are trying to chop you down are really good and really smart. And maybe as long as you can control that, it doesn't have to be the worst thing. You can even have a little bit of conflict in there. But like the other the other thing I'll bring in here. So the Lakers, the, the um, HBO show. Right. So Jack McKinney and then Paul West takes over and you only got one assistant. But who was McKinney? Who, who was the guy that he needed somebody loyal like his guy? And he only had one. So that was important for Westhead. Well, then Westhead ends up being Riley. And I take out what you saw on the show necessarily about that relationship because I don't think that encompasses all of it. But you don't just have to have the one guy now that you think is there to have your back and not take your yeah, job. Yeah, yeah. You know, you're going to have multiple guys on the front bench and the back bench. Like yeah. we're talking about six coaches and yeah. then two video guys minimum. And and within that, Pete, I think there's enough opportunity for Darwin to have some of his guys that he's been that he knows and is loyal to. And then, you know, maybe an X's and O's, nose, maybe a little, maybe a little ATO expert, you know, like uh maybe a maybe another development guy. And that should be done in accordance with Rapolinka uh and the front office, mm-hmm. who have their own good insights, right, about uh what might be needed on the rest of this roster. And by the way, maybe LeBron too, right? At least to an yep. extent.
3: I'd love for the Lakers – so I'm just going to say this. I said this on a previous pod, but I'm going to say it again. I'd love for the Lakers to keep Phil Handy as one of the coaches that is mm-hmm. on Ham's bench. I don't know what sort of history he might have with Ham. You know, Mike said – and I think this is true for a lot of guys around the league. The NBA is a fraternity. A lot of guys know each other just based off the fact that we're in the same fraternity, right? Like yeah. like we all know each other in passing at, at least. But bigger relationships can be built off of knowing each other just a little bit better and and where have our paths crossed and, and did we connect on some certain place or whatever, right? And so I don't know if Handy has any history with Ham, but the Lakers have a lot of history with Handy. He's been here for several years, and I'd like to keep him on board if at all possible. There was other reporting about Ham and or the Lakers will value head coaching experience on Ham staff. So I'll be interested to see what that potentially looks like as well. Um, I agree with what both of you said around striking the right balance and finding the right mix of people and and personalities i'm one of those guys too that believes that a good idea can come from anywhere yeah and that the qualities and this goes back to what we were talking about before but the qualities of you as a person matter just as much because how open-minded are you to an idea coming out of the video room for example to be an idea that you implement in game action Right. And not just game action, but potentially a playoff series or an NBA Finals series. Right. Because that's how collectively you win, because you don't win as a head coach without every single one of those dudes that Mike mentioned. Right. Front of the bench coaches, back of the bench coaches, the video people, the trainers, everyone is a part of this process. And so in reflecting back on on Ham, I am hopeful, Mike, that he pulls from all of the resources and and all of the places in which he has relationships around the league and does form a formidable staff, because I think that that's important, especially for a first time head coach Um, in order to get hit the ground running in a way that you especially need to as head coach of the Los Angeles Lakers with LeBron James and Anthony Davis on your team because this isn't a rebuilding situation this isn't a we we picked in the lottery and we've got a runway now for 4 to 5 years no you guess what your runway is your runway is 12 months 12 months from now we want to be holding up the trophy and and that's that's it right and and that means things coalescing quickly. And I think that, that, that makes the job bigger and harder in, in a way ham wouldn't take the job if he wasn't up to the challenge, but, but it's like, there's a lot going on here and it's why I wanted to just sort of talk about the assistance part of this, because I think that's part, that's an important part of the picture to me.
4: And I just want to add a layer to kick this to Pete with the assistance, because, the assistants are very important and there's a lot of really good ideas to be had but it's the head coach's job okay that's right
2: the head coach has to be the person that everybody galvanizes behind and they listen to the ideas of the assistant coaches but they got to yes. do the right thing at the end of the day and so
4: i like so bringing on some experienced head coaches right or inexperienced head coach to be an assistant that's great uh, but not if it's the sort of interim and waiting type head coach, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That one, that I don't like. I don't like that concept because I think this is who you're hiring. Uh, the organization believes in this person, which is why they're hiring him. He's going to be here hopefully for a while. Now that doesn't mean that if, if things just go wrong for whatever reason, and, and that the coach is clearly responsible for it in a certain way, I get it. Like people get fired, but going in, it's gotta be, this is the guy. This is the guy. He's the one who's going to take your opinions, but ultimately, like, what's his vision? And even if that vision isn't perfect, even if you or I or whoever doesn't agree with it, it's more important that he's following that and sticking to it to set the tone for the team and for the players.
2: When I was a high school coach, the circumstances of how I got the job, I was like I like quit my job to go back to school and I said, "Hey, in 5 years I want to have my own I want to be a high school history teacher and I want to have my own high school basketball program." And then a sequence of events happened where I was the head coach of a team like 6 weeks later. I'd met a guy at a game, we struck up a conversation. He was like, "Hey, I need an assistant coach and would you like to do that?" As luck would have it, I was available and then I started working with him and I disagreed with a lot of what he was trying to do, but, and it's an interesting position to be in, right? Where you're like, okay, well, I guess we're doing this. All right. And then, um, and then he had to quit. Two weeks before the regular season started, so the high school was like, "Well, shit, we don't have time to find a new coach." So I guess you're a head coach. So again, this is it's this crazy bit of circumstance. Right? Small ball, baby. Yeah. No, no, that. Ugh, I'm just kidding. Mike.
4: I'm kidding. Yeah. I'm messing with you. I'm, and by the way, just for reference, guys, this is post Goldfarb um, and post Rockstar um, uh, career uh, from Pete.
2: So yeah, Mike's trying to piece the the timeline together. I like it. Um, so when I became the coach. There's a guy uh in the neighborhood who'd played division 3 basketball and he came by one day and was like I don't really have the time to coach a ton but I'd like to come by a couple of times a week and they barely pay you right like anybody who's an earnest person who actually knows what they're talking about that wants to help you know that passes the background checks all all of that of course uh like hell yeah and had he had the time he deserved to be the head coach way more than I did he just didn't have the time and so he taught me my favorite phrase when it comes to being an assistant coach, he says, disagree and commit. And so the disagreements, they happen behind closed doors, away from the players, in your coaches' meetings. And that's the place, that's that open space where all of the ideas get, well, I know, you, I know you're thinking this, but what if we did this instead? And this is my argument. And, and that is the place that is probably the most democratic part of all of it, right? Where ideas get shared and that the leader, the head coach, needs to be able to listen to their coaches, to be able to foster an environment where everything's running on all cylinders. You need those guys. You need those assistants. But the mindset of an assistant coach to be able to disagree and commit. The commit part, when you disagree with something, is hard to do. You say, I don't think we should be doing it this way, but I'm going to give my best effort To help you do it in this way. And to me, that's the type of coach that you're talking about, Mike, is somebody that can like introduce new ideas, but is not is there to supplement. Right. And is there to fall in line behind that head guy. And I think with the hams, with the ham hiring in particular, D, I think like we need a leader right now. We need somebody to rally behind, and I think that these are good conditions for that. I think we're going to be less prone to that like uh, head coach, interim coach, and waiting type of dynamic.
3: Well, this is where I would say, too, that you need the person who's going to foster that commit part, because not every head coach fosters that. Mm Mm-hmm. Not every head coach has the gravitas. Not every head coach has that sort of people connection.
2: Not every head coach puts in the actual work.
3: Yeah. Right? It, no, exactly. And and so there is a there is also the right person that is going to engender that commitment, right? Where you want to do the thing for this specific person because you, even if you disagree, you believe in this person. Hell yeah. Right? And... I am hopeful that in Ham, they have found that type of man. And that's why I go back to that, right? That type of person that they have found that because that quality is what leadership is. I've had a bunch of conversations about, and I have this in my everyday life, both at like my wife's work and my own work and all of this stuff about like leadership is... Continuing to get people to be on your side and follow you when they may not want to do that if it was under their own accord. Like mm. you build consensus. Yeah. Like the way that uh, this is my understanding and what I believe in terms of leadership is is you build a consensus and you continuously go back to keep that in line.
2: So, D, what are the first steps for for Darvin Ham to do that here?
3: Well, I think too like having LeBron on your side helps yeah right getting the job in the first place is a great start right because when the jobs are this important I think that you've already proven yourself at a certain level in in order to get the job but I think back to like some of the things I read about in the aftermath of Frank Vogel being hired and in some of the success that Vogel had in that first season and leading his team to a championship and a lot of the things that they talked about was open, honest conversations with the people that he was working with and honestly not not carrying any biases or carrying any baggage about what things what outsiders thought things were supposed to be. And instead, basically, mm-hmm. like, I'm here to do this work and y'all are here with me to to do the work, too. And I'm going to respect you for that. And I'm going to show that respect. And on the flip side, you're going to give me that respect back because that's how we're going to do things here. And I think that's sort of where it all starts with him. And it starts with him putting together his staff. It starts in in the rooms right now. Right. If he's come to an agreement with the Los Angeles Lakers, even necessarily maybe even before right before there's an official announcement made. Guess what? He's having conversations with people in the building and making sure that he's getting people on his side and getting his message out there about what's going to get them to the place that they want to go together.
4: To your point about leadership, you think about the NBA and how much the players, the coaches, whoever. How much, how many hurdles they've had to jump to get there, how many players they've had to be better than how many coaches they had to either outwork or out network or out whatever to get to that spot. So
2: very competitive.
4: These are competitive MFers. And and so people in general, I think, have have a competitive nature in in a work aspect. Basically, whenever money is involved, that part of it. Uh, then bring in the pride. But that's to Darius's point about leadership and galvanization, like that's, you have to have enough of that to be able to compensate for, right, what people's own self-interest is. And I think that that's the type of thing for Darvin Ham that is a natural thing. And that's, it's important to me not to have to have to sort of create that and find, you know, sort of like, how am I going to sell this basically? And I think that for, I guess we shouldn't keep pointing back to Vogel this much, but Vogel came in and was was like, here is my plan, you know, in order for us to all succeed together. Uh, and it and it really worked well. But like that was, he had to, he had to like really come up with that plan, you know, and spend a lot of time on it and then sell it. And he had to sell it to the front office, he had to sell it to LeBron, he had to sell it to the players, and they kind of had to build it. And I think that there's a and at no fault of Frank's, Darwin has some of that sort of equity. And just the type of guy that he is and the type of persona that he is that's built up over these years within the NBA community. Not necessarily as much for fans that don't know him because he wasn't a star and he hasn't been a head coach before. But those types of things, I think, that are just sort of about what his life story is. um, I think that can that can be a a galvanizing force and it can keep some of those egos and um, and that desire to succeed and to get to the top at bay um, to the extent that it can help create some harmony.
2: Yeah, I I I think that's that's absolutely the case and I think that that process starts with uh with one-on-one you know personal interaction strengthening those already existing bonds that you're talking about Mike. I I think it's LeBron and Darvin Ham are about to get to know each other in a very different way than they ever have before and I think that that those are the first steps right now are with the principal actors going forward like hey let's get on the same page let's get out and work let's let's do what we need to do to move forward but that whole galvanizing behind you that engendering that that commit that ability to commit is something that i think that happens first with your personal interactions with people. So I'm very excited about the Darwin Ham era. Uh, wishing him well is a very important off season. We'll see what the roster is. I think that's the next step. But I think that this was an off season where I thought there were a lot of dangerous, potentially, decisions ahead of us. And the first one, not the last one, but the first one, I thought, was the head coach. And all in all, I think that both the process and the end result, I'm very happy with how it went. So we'll be back tomorrow. I think we're going to preview uh, the, the finals a bit. But until then, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time.
3: James has got it in low to Mikhail. McHale wants to turn double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it.
1: Magic fires. It's good! That's back the winner, it's on the way, right. no! Toby Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds, with his eighth block shot that
0: ties an NBA Finals record. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this.
4: You're seeing something that's very rare indeed, a Laker to get MVP chance right, in, in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Toby to lead, Are you kidding
1: me? Unreal! Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, going. one. This is it! victory. It's
0: over. It's over. shot out of five. Oh, yeah. Bryant. Yeah.
4: putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust.